0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, as as we open up the Word of God together, I got to tell you, I am really excited about what John and I are planning to do over the next few weeks. We're going to tag team these next few weeks and and maybe be able to answer from Scripture uh, some things that... You might have noticed or felt, but had a hard time putting your finger on. Because many folks, you've started coming to Mercy Hill, you've been here for a little while, and, and you said, wow, there's something different about this church. Maybe you've been to some other churches and they've done things in certain ways. Maybe you've never been to church, but you say, man, there is something about the way this church does things. And if you try to put your finger on it, it kind of squirms away and you can't quite say what it is. Well, something about the way the people are or how the leadership functions or just the the way everything is done here and the sense of the Lord's presence. You can't quite put your finger on it. But over the next few weeks, John and I are going to try to unpack for you certain scriptural priorities and values that the leadership here intentionally adheres to that actually have structural implications, practical implications for how Mercy Hill does church. So let's ask the Lord to help us, shall we? Let's just pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can sit in a comfortable building and be here lifting up your name and saying how we want to exalt you. God, help us to play our part here in what it means to lift up your name in this part of Northwest Indiana, God, in Chicago land as the youth go and represent you and us together during this week. Father, help us to play our part with our brothers and sisters around the world and to each one of us be who you want us to be in this family. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to tell you, I love the verses that we're going to get to look at together this morning. It's, It's a set of verses that at face value, you look at it and you think it's not very profound, but it's captured my heart. And I hope to maybe infect you with some of the reasons why these are some verses that really grab me. It's in Philippians chapter two, uh, some verses later than where Johnny was reading a little earlier, verses 19 through 30. And I'm trusting as we look at this that God's going to help transform our perspective and that it won't just be information from some verses, but it's going to give us a new way of looking at some things. The, the Bible is a fascinating, phenomenal book. God speaks to us not only through direct instruction, but through example and through people's lives. And so come with me here as we read these verses, uh, Philippians two nineteen through 30. Paul is... You are so kind, Tim. Thank you. Might as well take advantage of that right now. Paul is kind of doing what seems like administrative business, catching the church up on some comings and goings and providing a bit of a letter of reference for a couple of guys who are going to be going to the church. But as he does that, he shows us some really profound things about heaven's perspective. So here we go. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ." But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him that you, <laughs> so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. It sounds like kind of administrative and people coming and going, a little bit like the church announcements, honestly. And yet there's a profound revelation embedded here. And part of what I love about these verses is the view that we see when we don't just look at them, but look through them at what they're showing us. Uh, Next slide. I, I picture it a bit like a window because we see in these verses a window into heaven's values. What the apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is expressing about what heaven really cares about here. And I want us to not just look at the window itself, but take a look at the view through the window. And so these verses, in a sense, giving us a window into heaven's values, show us three things that I wanna to try to touch on this morning. The first is is how Jesus is at the center of it all, of the whole thing. In the midst of what really is kind of a bit of a news and update, it's saturated in Paul talking about Jesus himself and the gospel, Secondly, these individuals that he talks about, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are an incarnation of heaven's values. Paul introduces them as examples. He's using them to talk about how important it is to embody the things that heaven thinks are really important. And thirdly, what, ha- what he's doing there is showing us that heaven operates on a different kind of economy than the world does. I don't mean just a financial economy. I mean the system of what's valued and what's valuable and the currency that's used in the interchange of what's precious back and forth between people and things. It's a different economy that isn't focused on results and productivity, but on relationships and actually valuing others as more important than ourselves. And so this idea of Jesus being at the center is something that's distressingly easy to just give lip service to. You know, we sang a song about it this morning. You know, it's easy to do a little bit of God talk sprinkled like, you know, a bit of paprika on top of the potato salad. But what Paul's showing us here is that even when he's talking about something as simple as who's coming and who's going and what his hopes are for how that's going to work out. He keeps talking about Jesus right in the midst of all of these everyday, ordinary details. Uh, if you take a look, I just extracted these statements from the verses that I read, where he says, his hope is in the Lord Jesus. Like, I have to admit, I have all kinds of hopes, things that I hope are going to work out a certain way. You know, some people hope that the weather's going to be cooler on the picnic because when it's over 85 degrees, they just melt. Hey, I should tell you, when John and Brian were with us in Zimbabwe, he held up remarkably well under some temperatures well over 100 degrees. It was suffering. It was hard, but he kept a great attitude about it. But I have to admit, some of my hopes are not really in the Lord Jesus. They're just the way I want something, you know. And sometimes I'll do the equivalent of praying that, Jesus would bless me with nice weather for my picnic. Uh, But what Paul's doing here expresses that for Paul, in all the things he's talking about, it's wrapped up in the Lord. It's not something he just tacks on for Sundays or for things. It's that when he thinks about how do I help and serve this church, it's a hope he has that's in the Lord. Similarly, he talks about the interests of Jesus Christ. He talks about Uh, being partners together, serving in the work of the gospel. This is a short passage. There's, There's just a dozen verses here. And yet over and over again, we're finding, Paul's expressing hope in the Lord, confidence in the Lord. How when Epaphroditus didn't actually die from being sick, how do we understand that? What's our view of healing? It's that God had mercy on him and on me. And so church, what should you do? welcome him. How? Welcome him in the Lord. Because everything he was doing, it was for the work of Christ. And so as we see this kind of saturation here, we see that it's all full of Jesus. That's a priority here at Mercy Hill. We we don't want to be people who just talk some God talk when we have a meeting. And then during the week, we're just doing everything our own way or just invoking the name's Lord, the Lord's name to baptize, if you will, our own agenda and theory and things. No, it matters that Jesus really is at the center, not just as a theological concept, but as a functional reality. In our times together that we worship, that we pray, that when there's a minis- women's ministry going on, where, where does the priority come? What's going to be the emphasis? There's an emphasis on prayer on actually reaching to the Lord for the sisters. Are you seeing that? That this issue of having Jesus at the center, it's fundamental and foundational to who we are, obviously as a church, but what is a church? The church here is not an administrative entity. It's not just a 501c3 legally registered corporation. This is a family, a body of Christ, a set of people for whom Christ is at the center. Is that making sense? Are we together? Okay. Uh, Secondly, one implication of that is it's not projects that are the priority of the church. It's not even the, the structural things that organize us and hold us together that make us who we are as a church. Paul does not make any mention of formal titles or positions for either of the brothers that he's working with or how they relate or connect to the church. The name that gets mentioned over and over is Jesus. The one who has the unique place of worth and supremacy is, is Jesus. And so in Paul's mentality of how he and these leaders connect and interact with the church, it's something that is in Christ Jesus. It's something that's for Christ Jesus, not something that's based on projects, programs, or a structural organization. And this this is what this kind of different economy that I was trying to tease you about is all about. I'm gonna try to contrast for you in an oversimplified sort of way, two different value systems, two different ways of um, valuing and interchanging things, two systems. Timothy and Epaphroditus are being used by Paul as the example of a heavenly economy, a heavenly value system that's set up in distinct contrast to the way that the world values things and does things. Um, These guys, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are being introduced to us as the embodiment of what Paul taught the church about at the beginning of chapter two, verses one through five. I think we've... mm, got a slide in a different spot. I better, let me stick with my slides, I'll come back to that. Um, back up one again, if you'd be so kind. Uh, these two economies, the the heavenly economy that Timothy and Epaphroditus are representing, it has as its currency, this idea that in Greek is called koinonia. It's the chief object of value that's being interchanged here. And many of you may have heard this word, it's most loosely translated as fellowship the idea with koinonia is it's a partnership a sharing of life together a joining of of life that flows back and forth it's alternately translated in english translations by several different words i think at least half a dozen words fellowship is a common one partnership i think has more substance because koinonia is a partnership in the gospel That's how Paul uses that word uh, the first time he uses it in Philippians, Philippians chapter one, verse six. He talks about your partnership in the gospel, that koinonia is a sharing together in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, koinonia is not, it's something much more than a church cookout. It's something much more than us sharing hot dogs and brats and potato salad After the service, this is the expression that we are in it together. We're in it together with our brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe, why? Because of koinonia, because of a partnership in the gospel together. It's not a commodity in the sense of trading it or or possessing it, but in the sense that it represents the relational values of the kingdom of heaven. And this shared sense of mission and belonging together where each of us is, has an investment in each other's success, that is part of the heartbeat of how Mercy Hill functions. And these are, there's these two different economies that represent and come from two different kingdoms. Let me kind of picture this koinonia economy as being over here. And I'm gonna stand over here and wave my hands when I talk about what Paul is trying to express about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I'll stand over here and wave my hands when I'm talking about the way that the world does business and uh, the worldly economy functions. Because the way this economy functions, the way that the world naturally does things, has actually shaped the way a lot of churches and Christian ministries think about doing ministry well. And yet it's built on a different foundation and economy because this worldly economy has its own value system and they are different values than what Paul is holding up here in these verses when he commends and promotes and says, these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus are such good examples of the kingdom of heaven. Over here, this worldly economy puts a heavy emphasis on numbers, on productivity and results. It's very quantifiable. It's about meeting your monthly quota if you're in sales and how many new customers did you bring in and watching the numbers and how does the income match the outgo and how does that compare to the month before or how we were doing last year at this time. It is based on what have you done for me lately and are you measuring up? Is that making sense so far? Most of you experience that all week long. It's an economy that is also based on and aiming for personal greatness, advancing and getting ahead. But that's contrary to heaven's economy. This kind of mentality that is working for self-promotion and getting ahead is also built on being able to do better than someone else because I can't get ahead if you're ahead of me. And so in this kind of economy, it's very comparison oriented. We're looking over our shoulders to see if somebody's catching up and we're looking ahead to see who we can catch. It is also very good at taking the credit and reassigning the blame. Are you tracking with me here? Uh, As I oversimplify, I'm highlighting certain parts of it, but this kind of blame-shifting, self-protective, self-promoting way of living and doing business is an economy of its own. I want to tell you it's the economy of the fall. This is an economy that was born back in Genesis chapter 3. This is the economy that was birthed when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they took the, out of a, a huge permissibility from the Lord that says, you can eat from any tree in the garden except one. They went to the one that got it forbidden. And they took from that tree and ate because they thought it would make them like God. And as soon as they disobeyed God, they inaugurated a new economy because when the Lord came and said, Adam, what have you done? Adam said, "It wasn't my fault. That woman that you put here, she took the fruit and gave it to me and ate." It's a double blame shifting. First of all, he's shifting it off on Eve, but if that's not good enough, really, God, ultimately that goes back to you because you're the one who put her here with me. And so right away, he's he's like in his new sinfulness he's found a new way of engaging with the world and relationships where suddenly, instead of being naked and unashamed, he's trying to cover up for himself by moving the blame. Eve does the same thing. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And for so long ever since, human society and interaction has been working in this kind of economy. Now the trouble comes... Here, when we want to take Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're the best, you're the greatest, you are the king of heaven who's come to earth and we want to make him king of this kingdom in the way that we're used to doing things. And we take Jesus, we say, okay, Jesus, you're the king, but we still try to operate in the same way that we've been doing since we were born in this kind of economy. The fact is, Jesus isn't interested in ruling this kind of economy. He's brought his own kingdom and his own value system and his own economy that he's the king of. And so if we're going to convert to following Jesus, we have to shift systems of operation as well. We have to change the way that we engage with people and with society to function in the way that Paul is trying to describe in this this passage, verses 19 through 30. Listen, it is very easy to, even with good intentions, just keep functioning this way. It's very easy to start parenting by the numbers. We love our kids. We want to see them do great. And so we're focused on their results. And it might be their GPA or it might be their batting average. But we're looking at at the numbers and the results. Okay, I need to be a more committed father. That means I've got to spend more time with my kids. I'm going to start spending time with my kids. And now I'm looking for where's the return on investment. I spend good time with my kids this week. Why isn't their behavior changing? And we want to index very closely our investment and the results. But Timothy and Epaphroditus show us a very different economy that God calls us to live in. It's a value system that isn't focused on what do I get out of it but on doing things in the name of the Lord for his sake and that being enough and trusting the Lord to bring the fruit from doing that. Here are some of the things that Paul shows are the values of this koinonia economy. What Paul's holding up for respect and honor is looking out for the interests of others instead of trying to get ahead ourselves. Paul says something that's very challenging about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your own welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, that, that's a humbling thing for Paul to have to say because Paul worked with a bunch of other people. And he's saying, I'm working with a bunch of other people in ministry. And unfortunately, a lot of them are looking out for their own interests. Timothy, though, he's different because when he comes to you, he's not just looking for an opportunity to exercise his own ministry or find a way for him to do something for the Lord. The thing he cares about most is what's best for you. And that's how Jesus calls us to engage with people in all our relationships. That's how this economy works. If you are just looking for a place or a way to exercise your ministry, watch out. Instead, be asking, don't be asking the question, where and how can I do ministry? Be asking the question, what best serves the people that God's put right in front of me? Are you hearing that? This this business of looking out for other interests rather than your own interests is what Paul said in, in chapter two, verses three and four. When he was didactically teaching the church, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Which economy does that belong in? Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Where should we put those? Over here. But instead, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Where should we put that? Over here. Uh, and by the way, no offense, based on which side of the the, the room you sat on this morning. Okay. Next Sunday, everybody's going to sit on this side. Now, but um, verse four says. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. Where do we put looking to your own interests? It's on this side, isn't it? But also to the interests of others. here, And so you find Paul is not just accidentally mentioning these things about Timothy. He's making a point to the church. The Holy Spirit's making a point to us that it matters that we live in this value system, not in this value system. Secondly, Heaven, oh, let's go back one. Uh, Heaven values serving. The language that Paul uses to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus is all about how they were serving, not about any title or recognition or position that they have, and not about any results that they got. He doesn't list for us Timothy's resume of how when I sent Timothy to Corinth, He was really able to straighten out their problems, reorganize the church to put it on a solid footing so when he comes to you in Philippi, you can be sure he's gonna have good results. He doesn't talk like that about it. He says, you can trust this guy because he just cares about what's best for you and he served alongside me for the sake of the gospel. Thirdly, we find that what heaven's valuing here is, is the commitment and the cost, the willingness and the effort of sacrificial service, even when it might look like a failure on the outside. Because Epaphroditus, he's coming back kind of because it didn't work out for him on the mission that the church sent him on. Paul says, you sent this brother here to take care of my needs. And when he was here, he got so sick, he almost died. And now he wants to go home back to you guys. And I'm worried about him. I think if he stays here, he might die. And I think the best thing for him, for you, for me, is we just send him back. But when I read that to you, when I read it to you, instead of rephrasing it that way, when I read you those verses, it didn't sound like he was a failure, did it? Hello? No, but when I restate it, if you're evaluating Epaphroditus in this economy, did he succeed or did he fail? I tell you, he's not getting a promotion after his last assignment. But in heaven's value system, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, for he almost died for the sake of the work of Christ. Do you see that what heaven values is a different set of values? That means that you and I, we need a renewing of our minds. We actually have to convert some of the perspectives and assumptions that come naturally to us because there is a temptation And sometimes it it flies under the name of excellence for the church, that we should organize and put our energy and attention into certain things so that we do things really, really well. But watch out. We could be putting our attention and effort into doing some things really well that heaven doesn't care about, hello, while in fact neglecting things that are precious to heaven. Part of why Mercy Hill feels a little different maybe than what you've been involved in before is that... As a leadership team, we intentionally evaluate and adhere to this kind of value system. We think administration is important, but it's not the primary issue in the body of Christ. Uh, John's going to unpack for us some more in the next week, and I'll be back in two weeks. Uh, Next verse, please. Next slide, sorry. Next slide. Uh, That there's some structural implications of trying to live as a church in this value system. One of those is that we will have less formal structure in ministry than we would if we were building it around this economy. There's going to be more flexibility in roles and sense of shared responsibility instead of sharp boundary lines about where my responsibilities start and stop. Thirdly, it does mean that it's hard to come up with an organizational chart for how the church does everything because the priority is built around people. And that will mean at times that various ministries happen or don't happen, not because of the way we'd like to see it happen in an organizational chart, but just because whether the people who could be involved actually have the time, resource, and energy to be involved in it. And we do intentionally resist the professionalization of ministry. Uh, We thank God for two full-time brothers who are serving this church with their heart and soul, but there's a lot of aspects of ministry that could be professionalized and maybe function more smoothly. But that's the choice we've made not to go in that direction. Instead, we're going in this direction. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be trying to unpack some of these things in more detail. In the meantime, take home this reality that God's called us to live in a different value system. And it means that some of the areas where you may have evaluated some of your own serving, giving, and faithfulness to the Lord as a bit of a failure because the results aren't there, heaven may evaluate it as worthy of honor. Are you getting that? And when you look at what's it mean for me to serve Jesus this week, look right in front of you and be asking the question, what's it look like to be concerned for that person's interests? Because what Paul has done in these verses is equate the interests of others with the interests of Jesus Christ. I just want to close with you seeing this parallelism. Paul says in chapter two, verse uh, verse 20, I have no one else like him, that's Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, right? You, You follow that. He's saying, Timothy is unique because he takes an interest in whose welfare? The people, other people's welfare. Now, the contrast that he makes is to everyone else. And what is everyone else looking at? Their own interest instead of what? Instead of the interest of Jesus Christ. And so the way that Timothy is like nobody else is because unlike everybody else, instead of looking out for his own interest, he's looking out for the interest of Jesus Christ. But how does Paul say that's being expressed? It's looking out for the interests of others. And the great greatness, true greatness in the kingdom of heaven is found in becoming the servant of all. When we think about what greatness is defined by, we recognize heaven defines it in this value system. You can be great this week. Not by being the top, the best, the greatest, but by looking out for the serving the interests of Christ and the people that are around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not consider even a quality with God, something to be grasped and held on to. but you made yourself nothing, taking the very form of the servant and becoming obedient even to death on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your saving death and your victorious resurrection. Jesus, thank you for this good news of the gospel that saves us, that redeems us, that makes us your own. Lord, we ask that you would help our minds and our hearts to get fully converted into living the way that you lived and to embodying these values of your kingdoms individually and as a church family together. In your precious name, amen.